A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Kelly Hungerford. And many more. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, I feel like I'm in the 21st century. You're in the 19th century. And we're going to talk about, about um, move, moving into the digital age for, for B2B businesses, which is beautiful. Um, I actually, before we start, I always start off with... Uh, knowledge panels and brand surfs and I pulled up your brand surf earlier on and you absolutely dominate it I thought it might be because you're the only Kelly Hungerford in the world but you're not there are at least seven others one of whom is a swimmer uh, no not a swimmer sorry a water polo player who hardly gets a look in uh, you got your Twitter boxes that's beautiful you're obviously active on Twitter and uh, the podcast gets its image down there at the bottom but basically your brand surf is actually really really good so I think um, probably without really knowing it you've done a brilliant work on your brand surf your knowledge panel however is less mm. good and your knowledge panel is only okay. in the context of Cali Cube Tuesdays and that image over there on the right is the beautiful illustration that means this is a knowledge graph, a knowledge panel, excuse me. So uh, delighted to have you here with that sh very short comment about well, your... Yeah, thanks for asking <laughs> me to join. And um, Kelly is actually very 21st century. We had a chat the other day about uh, taking B2B businesses into the digital world. And I mean, we can start with that. I mean, your initial story was saying... It's surprising how many B2B businesses just don't have a clue that there is one. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. And, and I, I kind of want to say, I think my very 19th century backdrop here is kind of representative <laughs> of the brands that I work with. They might be uh, industry leaders, but digital laggards, and also just a little bit not yet in the 21st century, one could say, I suppose, digitally. So I think this atmosphere, it lends and it was all intended. Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. And is the question, question like that is, is the bigger the company, the more the bigger the problem or smaller companies being more agile about moving to, to digital? I don't know. I think it's industry related. So I, I've worked with um, a lot of companies in tech and, 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 and tech seems to be just they embrace, especially B2C. We know they embrace the, the technology more. But even if you're in tech industry B2B, you're probably a little more digitally savvy. Uh, I find that a lot of the, the more manufacturers, uh, let's say you're in industrial goods or manufacturing, kind of that mid that mid enterprise and mid-sized enterprise, mm -hmm. they're probably torn between both worlds. I mean, they're very set in, in the way they have been selling. Uh, okay, so let's put that in context. Uh, Pre-COVID, they were, they were a little more set. And I, I think the urgency... Although we read all of this great um, research by Forrester, by Gardner, by, you know, yeah. it's out there. It's really hard to swing management if they have also been in the organization 25 years, right? I mean, and, and that's the, the leadership there. They've been doing things a certain way. It's hard to swing them. And I think um, COVID-19, for, for just that alone, we would never wish this upon anybody, of course, but mm. it really has accelerated what's taken five to seven years in the past. You know, people were forging through in, in, in five months, seven months. So I think it's very industry related and, and, and almost size of the industry related. And I find the midsize enterprise is often very sandwiched. They, they're, they're not small enough to be really, truly agile, 
uh, and act more like a startup. And they also don't have that mass of resource that a really the large enterprise has. So they're right. somehow straddling and, and maybe sometimes struggling in between. Brilliant. I, I, I kind of think, I mean, now talking to you, I mean, let, let's say there are 192,464,000 B2B businesses in the world. Of those, let's say 10,000 have actually made a decent be, uh, uh, transformation into digital. And the thing is, because we're in the digital industry, we tend to see those a lot. So we get this kind of skewed view. And yeah. I mean, as a digital marketer, I'm just going, that's absolutely boatloads of clients for me. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that we you, you you've hit on something that we work in this industry, so we take the. <laughs> That's it. There's Thank the you, Antonia. <laughs> we just we don't need to go any further. Now, I think it's um you know we we have to remember that, <clears throat> and I think also as a consultant, I was a marketing consultant before I joined uh, the brand I'm at now, Sunstar, the company. And um, I think we get very self-absorbed into this world of digital and we all talk the mm. same talk. We circulate in the same networks. We know each other and it's very comfortable. And the minute you step outside that, that sphere, people have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, we have to be really careful also because we, you know, we're assuming we're making a lot more assumptions because of the content we read, the events we attend that, duh, everybody is doing this. And if you work in marketing or you work in digital or IT in an industry that this is, you know, this is spread and better. And, and, and it's not at all because they're completely absorbed in their world of making, you know, ensuring supply chain works and their products are distributed and their new product development is working. And the digital somehow, if it hasn't been really uh, adopted and, and really there's this injection coming in from top leadership, they're completely isolated from from the other world. So the the yeah. question is like, how do you break through, and where do you begin, right? But I mean, what I might what struck me about the companies I talk to is, I mean, I'm starting with CaliCube, the CaliCube platform, which I'm now going to boast about. We we talked about it the other day. It's in beta, and the idea here is to say, right, we need to sort out what the world says about you and what you've put out there. And when I talk to businesses, even tech savvy businesses. You say, who created that page on Crunchbase? Who's looking after Google My Business? And they go, oh, somebody ages ago must have done that. And I've got no idea who it might have been. And I don't know what address, email address they use. And this for CaliCube is going to be one of the biggest problems is nobody knows in a company who actually created all this stuff. So actually going and correcting it is a big problem. And a lot of the reason for that is that there is nobody within this business who has the responsibility of that digital footprint uh, is that something you think is going to get easier or am i going to struggle for the next 10 years you might retire struggling oh no <laughs> and i'm no, already I'm quite kidding. old yeah. of course it's getting better no i think you bring up a great point and 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 that's also an opportunity and we talked about this as well right this decentralization and and mm. maybe but going to the point of who's going to own it so i think more and more from from what I'm seeing, more and more people are saying, okay, sometimes the the the, the step and that first um, footprint into let's say larger transformative initiatives is a lot of data gathering. So it starts right there. And if there's one person who is also just tasked with, we need to understand our footprint. And that's where I started with Sunstar. What's our footprint? It was 
you know, finding a, a big Excel with all of the different microsites. What are all the different social media? Where are we in Wikipedia? Are we in Wikipedia? Not only for the product brands, but for the corporate brand. And, and I think that that's exactly where it starts. And so the knowledge graph and, and what you're talking about what your company is doing is really important. And I think it is a segue in, maybe you can also reverse engineer it saying, we can help you find where you are because an organization, they truly do not know. Well, I'm sorry, I'm, in fact, that's what I'm doing. Mm. That's what the tool does. I mean, you're calling it reverse engineering. For me, it's just engineering the, the, the reverse yeah. anyway. Um, and it actually just collects all these references. And you were saying we've got this, this Google spreadsheet or Excel sheet. And I realized actually um, I now have three wonderful employees uh, as of three weeks ago and realized and realized how phenomenally yeah. difficult it is to co compile this information. They're doing it in Google Sheets. Then we move it to the database. Yeah. But somebody has to do it, and it's yeah. really boring, and it's actually very difficult. From a perspective of saying, I have a Crunchbase page that talks yeah. about, for example, the company. No, it's supposed to talk about the company, but it actually talks about the products. Yeah. And so we're yeah. talking about the wrong entity on the wrong page, and we need to go through all of that and start to correct it. And we were talking about your company, which is phenomenally complicated um, because it's fragmented. How do you, you decentralize is the word you use. Yes, I like how that can, How can you possibly deal with that? Yeah, it's difficult. So, And I think that that is an opportunity also. And so if someone's talking about where do we begin and all this, and, and I think that transformation begins very often in, in marketing because we're so close to the customer. So it's a very logical place. Mm. You know, just either put a team member or get a consultant to pull together, make that that giant Excel, and of course, get in, in contact with Jason. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, really, because that's a starting point. That's a conversation point where you can say, you can go back to your management and say, guys and gals, I mean, look at this. We have over 275 different entities out there representing us, and none of them are connected. And when management sees that literally in an Excel they're like, what? Like nobody thinks of this. So, so sometimes these steps start in the very smallest of ways, which is just the beginning. That's where we start. You know, you, you have to have a base. And I think that um, it's a great place to, to start. And that that's where we started with Sunstar. So, so Sunstar is um, it's this fabulous company. It's been around for almost a hundred years. It started in 1932 mm -hmm. and uh, in Europe and in the U S they're primarily in the, in the oral care business. So they have other industries. They have a consumer and, and an engineering industry and then four different business units really. But I represent the consumer groups good and um, consumer business and, and oral care is my is my main area. And, and that's exactly where we began. And it was very difficult because yeah. Sunstar, they've grown through and it's a great approach. And again, a lot of mid-sized enterprises take this route it's very decentralized you have a very lean headquarters and then you you push down to regions and say you have the product you have the you know pay royalties however that's financed you go right it's launch yeah. and go and that worked for for decades and now we're to a point where when we talk about customer experience we talk about brand growth digital brand what does that mean today you have to be centralized somehow and and this yeah. decentralization i think is really interesting where we need that decentralized approach and each market has its entity and, and and that's where it's great if you can show up in that, you know, when someone Googles and there you have your, your box on the right hand side saying this is exactly how you are. But to get there, you kind of need to have an overarching vision and you still need someone who owns that Excel with all of these digital properties, right? And uh, it, it's not easy because 
I think rarely we'll find somebody who owns all of that in an organization because there's too many silos. But what we can do is we can have a really loud voice internally and we can advocate and we can just be curious learners and we can we can be connectors. And so I think a lot of it today in, in building that that transformative blueprint, it's just all about the connecting, right? And, and just going sure. out and saying, I have this project. Can you help me? Do you know who's responsible for this? Do you know? And along the way, yeah. you you gather like, you know, who's responsible for opening that YouTube account in 2007? Who's responsible, you know? And so you find a lot of issues along the way, but four months later, you have a really comprehensive, and that's about how long it takes or took, it's about four months to get that comprehensive Excel where then you can do something with it. And, um, yeah. but it's, it's interesting because I, I don't know a company to date, anyone who says, I have a full view on everything that's out there and I can tell you who the owner is pretty tough yeah okay unless it's a one-person company in which case it's all my they don't fault in my case anton put out there yes true. <laughs> um but I, that 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 gives me two oh we're ranking number one on on youtube we we always rank number one for somebody's yes. name while we're yes. online which is lovely <laughs> um that that gives me kind of right point number one is saying Sorry, multiple points. Number one is who is going to own this? And you're saying the marketers should probably own it. Number two is finding who currently has control of all this information so that you can start bringing them together and talking to them about what is the strategy and not just like all these kind of fragmented tactics. Mm -hmm. And the third is to build up an understanding of what it is we offer and how it's all related to each other. Basically what uh, WordLift are calling internal knowledge graphs. Mm -hmm. Saying, and you're basically trying to build an internal knowledge graph and then say, this is what we have. This is what we're trying to present. Now, how do we go about it? And you think that's a marketing job? Well, I think it's, I mean, I guess it depends on the the the, the company. I mean, I, what I found, and this was something that they could teach us better in school, I think, if you study yeah. business or marketing or communication, is when they show you that organogram of how an organization looks we don't know which organization that belongs to because I've never found an organization that looks like the organogram. That's, that's for sure. So I think where I say marketing, I mean, I think it's a very obvious place to start because marketeers and, and, and sales, they're, they're very, they're so close to the customer B2B right. and users. I mean, they have the most vetted they They have their ear to the ground. They should. And I think that that is, it's a really logical place to start. You could maybe say we want to do this from supply chain and start it out there. But if we're really talking about the brand presence and trying to reach, you know, these growth goals and I think, um, you know, household penetration, if you're, you know, it starts in marketing. And um, I do see though that it's a real combination. Marketers, they can't, we can't maneuver alone. I mean, I think marketing and IT today are just completely joined at the hip. In some ways, I mean, as marketers, we try to move independently from IT, and we have the technologies and the platforms that allow us to do that. Codeless, it's it's fantastic, but IT carries so much heritage within the organization. Even if you can run eighty percent independent of them, let's say, they still carry so much background to markets and mm. and who set up this because very often they're at the core of who's going to do it. We don't know. Throw it to IT. 
So while IT may not own it, they very oh, yeah. often have their fingers in it of getting it going. So, so, if, so if you don't know who created that Crunchbase profile, go and ask the IT department. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and also, I think another area that we don't often think, I mean, PR, if you have a PR department, human resources. I find often human resources, they're just tasked with, can you own this? Like It's kind of like the the, the departments that nobody knows specifically what to do with. There were a few departments people tried to, to tuck it up under, right? So so it's interesting that way, but it's a lot of investigation. And and what is interesting about this process, when you go through it to try to to map, you know, your your product brands and then map up to to the to the parent brand, is you learn a lot about the organization and you learn a lot about what you don't know. And and we always think that we know quite a bit, but when you start asking the questions like, oh, I, I didn't under, I, I didn't even know that and I didn't know that either. And you know, yeah. we have there. So it's really, it's a great investigative process that, that I think we all need to go to. And it's certainly, I don't think it's something that should be outsourced to an intern while they can kind of gather that data and report it back. A lot of the data and a lot of the, the knowledge that you're acquiring through that process, you want that sitting with someone who's going to stay in the organization. Uh, no, absolutely brilliant. I kind of that, that tendency to throw thing at, things right. at interns. I mean, I, I've seen it in, in the companies I work with and for, uh, and it's deeply frustrating because they move on and then you have the same problem again that nobody yeah. actually knows what's going on. Um, and I find that you not only have the problem of deciding or figuring out who created which profile, who actually knows what, and how the whole thing is organized, but also what are our entities? What what is what is the, yeah. the, the this company that owns that company that's the CEO of that company and the CEO of the other company and how is it all joined together? And I find, as you said, it's a learning experience. When you start to say, where are the entities and what role does that entity play? within the entire organization, you don't sleep at night because it's really complicated really fast. And you said 250 entities within your organization, um, possibly more. Yeah. I mean, there are, yeah. So it, uh, yeah, I, I've only just started, you know, like when you got breaking ground. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started uh, our transformative initiative and that was really to, to replatform all of these, um, microsites and, and 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 build a cohesive presence, one one face to to the European market, and um, you know we uncovered a lot of a lot of different, yeah, just kind of like the International Space Station, you know, built, flung out to space for everyone to enjoy. Microsites here and there, and gosh knows what. One just popped up last week from Italy. Oops, oh, um, you know, this is still in our analytics, it's like, the thing is like dead for like two years. Like, how is that possible? Right. right? So things are popping up and, and slowly you start to, to centralize the information. But yeah, I mean, I think when you work with highly decentralized organizations and, and they're really functional for moving fast and that, that really promotes agility in the market, then the downside of that or the challenge is that you really have to work hard to keep an overview of, of information an informational overview, um, not just of your, your, you know, your product brands and, and more specifically sites and social media profiles, you need a really strong governance put in place to, to help that decentralization. And so I think that one of the biggest parts that, that I see in, in trying to, to move forward these larger scale multi-year 
transformative initiatives is that you you have to get everyone on board to centralize. You have to centralize to decentralize. So if you start from a really decentralized organization and you want to make impact seven years down the road, one of the first steps is really going to be to centralize certain functions. And um, that that goes across, you know, data, technology, content, uh, really so many different areas. And, and it's a little bit painful in the beginning, but that's the way that you start to learn about the organization also. And, you know, we took a regional approach. We started with Europe. Now we're working with the Americas. Maybe the next step is, you know, after that is APAC. And, but you have to take it kind of region by region. Otherwise, it's also, um, well, it's just not achievable. I mean, I think it's just overwhelming. And, and even a regional approach seems overwhelming for some. But yeah. I think that the flip side of that in these initiatives is you have to think big and you have to dream big. Nobody's going to go through the pain of anything, be it a content audit, be it gathering excels for like, for what? you know, to get just one little pat on the back. I mean, you want to see the glory, right? Otherwise, we're not going to go through the effort. And I think with transformation, it's the same thing. We have to put pretty big visions and pretty big dreams out there and go big, or you can't get people to to hop on board. Because um, no, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's like if someone tells you to go run seven miles and you're going to get a goodie after, I mean, if they're going to give me a carrot, I am so not going for those seven miles, but if it's like a big banana split, like that's my dream, I'm all over it. And I, and I think transformation is the same thing. You know, you got to have that big banana split at the end. Otherwise right. transform digital transformation is all about big banana splits. Right. Oh. Well, the, the, the question there is obviously this is a phenomenal amount of work, a great deal of investment, very costly, how can you possibly convince the 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 C level employees, the, the people who run this stuff, that it's worth the investment? They're just going, you know, we're doing okay as it is. And, and why would I invest all this time and effort in something that I can't actually measure? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a tough one. And that and that I'm still sorry. comes up. And there's not <laughs> the measurement and the ROI is, is really tough. But the um, but I get it, I think it's that dream. I think it's the vision, you know, mm. and it's also not so much of why should we invest? What are we missing out on if we don't invest? I mean, what's the cost of not investing? To, right, to, and, and that, that's kind of very difficult. What's the cost of not investing is a very difficult sell because it's really difficult. To Unless you're competent, the only thing yeah. I found is say, look at what the competition is doing. And that yeah. kind of like jealousy yeah. of your competition or envy of yeah. your competition is a driver. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I think what we you, you look at, too, is, uh, and I think a very pragmatic approach is saying, okay, you know, if we're talking about Europe, and we take the population of each market, and then mm. what is our population of potential um, customers and consumers in that market, and you start breaking it down and say, what is our reach now, uh, one to many, with with what we have today, how, how can we reach what percentage of that potential population uh, mm. in our segmentation are we reaching? And what could we potentially reach if we were really leveraging um, our strategy on social media, if we really had, um, you know, email marketing automation in place? And so I think you have to, to work little by little that way. We worked very much on if we had websites and could secure X amount of traffic a year and we made assumptions that maybe um, a B2B website has... Um, I don't know, 5% conversion and a B2C website has 3% conversion. And we worked out the mathematics saying, potentially we could reach X amount of conversions. And if we put a dollar attributed, uh, you know, a dollar to that or a Euro, uh, whatever that sale is, then you can start building a picture saying, 
maybe this is how digital could potentially uh, impact um, sales awareness. I mean, I think those are the conversations where you have to start building the business models around them also and make a lot of assumptions. I mean, when you're starting from nothing, that's all you can do. And usually or often in B2B, you might not have commerce on site. So you're working through distributors or you're working through affiliates in the markets and you know, we're, we're a headquarters function. So we, we fund this, but how do we show that we're, it's paying off? And I think that's really, it's an evolution, but you have to start somewhere. And when you're starting from nothing, then you can make some very basic assumptions and show. And a lot of times it is as simple as saying, let's measure what we can and let's show how we're going to attribute a dollar to that figure or a sale order and, and then see where we go. If, if it we're trending in the right direction, you know, the dollar figure at the end of the day doesn't matter as much as the trend itself. And, and I think that it's very pragmatic. And then you can break that down into, into each individual market saying, you know, over time we can show how we're starting to chip away and, mm. and, and, and attract those. We're gaining traction with those segments that are important to us in the market. So. And, and, and I think that's the key point is chipping away. And, and you've got to bear in mind that it's step by step, chipping away yeah. little by little. Um, and this thing just doesn't happen overnight. And people, a lot of people think, oh, it's digital or it's online. Therefore, it's going to be incredibly quick and it's going to have immense success oh. tomorrow. Oh. Ah. You know where the success comes from, I think, <clears throat> Jason? I think the success comes from showing that your organization is moving forward as a team. I think we put a lot of a lot of effort and maybe overemphasis on what it, you know ching ching what's like in my pocketbook, and I'm not sure if that's the only way to measure success, right? So we worked a lot on what if our teams could work better together, what if we could use technology while we're reaching these sales goals and of course pushing forth growth, but we need to also focus on how how our teams are evolving, what's the employee experience, are we are we able to better leverage assets today and maybe produce once, you know, create once and and, and use over many different um, markets instead of having each market create? So there are a lot of different ways to measure success. And I think really important along the road is always having those milestones and being able to show, you know, every three months, how have we achieved? Like what, what have we done? Because very often, like you said, these are long, these are long-term initiatives. I mean, this initiative for Sunstar and we called it Achieve, it started, the planning started in 2017. And finally, really at the end of 2019, we were able to say, um, okay, we have achieved. I think in 2020, we're like, okay, we're done now. Everybody like adoption is there. Nobody disputes any more digital. I mean, pandemic took care of that. So we can close right. that. that door, oh, sorry, right? if, if, I, if I can pick you up on one point there, can you say, yeah. okay, uh, two years to get everybody on board, we've done it. And what you're saying is not we've finished the transformation. It's we've okay. got everybody on board, so they're not arguing about it anymore. And it took us I, two I, years. Huge, huge point. That's a really good point. Because really, we started in 2016 with, hey, we have a we think we have a problem. I mean, we know that Back at that point, I think in 2013, Walker had that report by 2020, customer experience will be more important than price, right? Well, that that okay. was a big statement. And so I used that going in 2016 saying, look, everyone, 2020 is just around the corner. And, and these are the facts. This is what B2B decision makers are saying, that customer experience, you, you know, the price and your product, really, the quality is not even going to matter. What's the experience that you give your customers along that journey. And everyone was like, are you nuts? And I was like, maybe. I mean, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? 
<laughs> but that's what the data says. So let's follow it. And um, it was a really long process because it's it involves people. This is, I think, what we forget too. It's like, you said it. Oh, we have the technology. It's boom, boom, fast. You know, people love progress, but they hate change. How do you motivate like change that. in the organization? And that's been so fascinating. And I think that's my passion point out of, I love technology. I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely a marteketeer. I, I love the technology part and seeing how that enables but you don't have that enablement unless you really hone in on the people part. And that is the trickiest part of transformation. We do hate change. But we love progress. I, love I mean, it sounds like something, it sounds like something Mark Twain would have said. People, something, it sounds like a quote from Mark yes, Twain, but it's not. It's a quote from Kelly Hungerford. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's true. And it's, um, and I think the, yeah. So, so that, that length, it's just, I mean, we spent, I'm counting now a year and a half solid just in planning in setting the mindset of change is coming. I would say adapt or die. The train is coming through either like hop on or get hit. I mean, it was really, it was like these very graphic <laughs> visual kind of scare tactics in a way, but no, but it, it was trying to get people to understand that you know, you can resist it, but you'll just get plowed over. I mean, it's it's coming. The ship has left the harbor. It's set sail. But you, you have to really help people. You have to have a heart and help them ease into everything that's coming at them. Because if you're talking about a traditional company that has very little capabilities in-house to, to manage a digital ecosystem, maybe everything's been outsourced. Maybe you're very distributed and decentralized across the region. You have to imagine you have to build all of those skills and motivate and excite mm. people in-house to take this all on top of their daily job. Right. I mean, the first thing, as you said, you've got to get them to stop arguing and resisting. Then you've got to get them enthusiastic. Then you can get them to do the work. And then you can start to think you're going to make progress. Yeah. And, you know, if I was going to yeah. retire um, before anything happened with my company, same could be said for you is that you're looking at 10 years of work to even get the company to a point where you say, yes, this is a dig digitized company. Absolutely. And it's been, so I've been working with Sensor since 2016. I joined them in 2020 as the head of digital transformation for the consumer group. And, um, and it's, I mean, it's a journey there because you focus on the department's that are, are, are related. So marketing, marketing, communications, IT, you need in there. And then you start, you start branching out. There might be the, the, the product, the brand managers in there. Um, then maybe scientific affairs starts coming in and PR, but there's still a whole slew of people who are, they're not yet really touched by the transformation, so to speak. I mean, you're, you're putting pressure on supply chain. Um, PR is understanding. So it really takes a long time for this to seep out. And that's been five years now. And I would say, you know, in Europe, the broader base, they're on board, you know, they're like, what's next? And now we're working on sales and marketing alignment. So it's not just the transformation of how we market, but now it's how, how does sales and marketing work together? And after COVID also, it was like, wow, how can we do better? How can we better help our sales teams? Right. But then again, you need to take a step back and say, do we have everything in place, right? Like there are all these players that we don't talk about a lot in digital transformation or digital at all. When do you hear people talking about outside of web analytics, who's responsible for your data? Hmm. Do you have a master data specialist? People are like, hmm. 
no, who is that? Right. And um, so important because how can you, how can you have systems talk to one another without understanding how the data talks to one another? You need that governed, you need toolkits. I mean, and there are things that pop up that organizations, they just, nobody, everyone's like, what is that? Like, how do we go about that? Right. And they've been managing somehow in their own silo, but but these transformative initiatives are all about the silos will always remain. We need them for organizational structure, but you have to work cross silo, like really in this matrix. And that's super new for people. I mean, you're sharing all the time with people. You think, why do they need to know this? Right. And that's the beauty of digital. It's like good food brings us around the table and, right. and hopefully like brings us back for more. Right. But it's, um, yeah, and, it's, it's, and with digital, the potential for sharing these assets and this information becomes yeah. much bigger, which leads me then to the question, what about information overload? I mean, if you're yeah. sharing all this information, you're pushing it across all these silos, all of a sudden I'm sitting in my little silo and I'm going, I only had like 10 pieces of information last week and now I'm getting 100 and I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah, shut down. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there, 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 there needs to be... I'm very busy for the next five years. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think so. I think in the beginning we. Um, so I've learned that y- you have to over communicate to for mm. anything to just reasonably sink in, and and then at some point people say, "Oh yeah, I've heard that," or sometimes people need to hear it for a year and a half, and they say, "Oh, I, oh, I finally mm. get it. it clicks now, right? Finally it clicks." So I don't think that we can over communicate. I think what happens at some point people will be more like. I think I've got it. And do you mind if I don't attend anymore? No, that's great. I love it when people say, I'm declining your invite. I don't need it. I'm good. Fantastic. Right. So I think people learn how to, to self-regulate and, and you need to know where it fits in. But in the beginning, it, it is a lot of um, kind of kumbaya. I mean, everyone's around the table and we're, we're ensuring that the, the knowledge is out there for people at every touch point to get it. And, um, and, and one thing that I've learned uh, along this process, which, I'd never thought about before, but it worked really well is, you know, we have a tendency as like visual people and marketers to, to change up our slide decks all the time. Like we always want to one slide deck. It's like this. And I would hate to show that same deck again to somebody else. When you're really trying to, to bring change home, you want things to feel very comfortable. So I reused slides and decks. I don't know, 200, 300 times, probably. They, they see the same slides over and over. And then you add maybe another bullet point or you introduce a new slide. But I found for people when we're trying to make them comfortable with change, that there's comfort in, in knowing like, oh yeah, I've seen that slide, it's oh. not new. And that helps with that overload, right? Because it's all, oh yeah, we've seen that before. Okay, blaze through. And then you can get through that part faster, but you also go back, but remember we're here. This is this is why we're doing this. This slide here and then you know going down. But I mean, took a while. This, this sounds like school teaching all of a sudden because we've got that yeah. thing is that at, at school we did see things a lot and I would sit at the back of the class throwing pieces of paper at other kids in the class thinking I've seen this five or six times but the fact that I saw it for the fifth or sixth time and yeah. I was now getting bored means that I understood yeah. it which is the point. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way, but it's absolutely the same thing. I think, and I think we are educators. I think as as marketers and professionals and and trying yeah. to to convince people so you know if we go back to how do you convince investment you educate i think people are leery of non not investing and they'll call it a cost and not an investment and what have you because they don't understand they just maybe see a number on the paper and oh that's expensive which 
Sorry, excuse me, which, which brings me, sorry, to the point, and I'm going to stick with the educational yeah. idea, is like, I've got, a, let's say, I've got a PhD and I could teach university students, but I'm actually trying to teach kids at primary school. There's yeah. no point in saying, telling them everything I know in all the detail with all yeah. the complicated words. Yeah. I need to bring them to understand what it is they need to understand at the stage they are at in their tr transformative process from, let's say, digital marketing or digital transformation primary school to digital transformation uh, doctorate. Is that fair? You are so right. That, really? that is absolutely I like absolutely. you. Yeah. You're making me sound like I've got really good <laughs> questions. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that's a great point because so – Years ago, I remember, um, I don't know, I was talking to, I don't know if you know Matt Collier, he has blog, um, blog chat, and uh, he's been around on Twitter with chats, and he's, he, he's a content creator. He has mm. a great, he's accrued a great amount of, of content, great guy, super smart writer. And I remember when I was working at a company, and I asked him, I just said, man, I am not getting across, like, I, I don't get it, yeah, and I don't get why they don't get it. And he just said, because you're talking over their heads. He said, you're giving them 201 content and they're at 101 still. Mm. Think of, of education. He said, the other thing he said was, you know, if you sound too smart in front of people, if you put yourself there and and you know, you're trying to share what you know, but if, it, if it's above the classroom's head, nobody's going to ask questions. Nobody's going to feel comfortable. You're going to mm. have silence the whole time because nobody wants to admit they have no idea what you're talking about. So just keep it simple and keep it at that base level. And, and I've taken that that with me over years. I don't know. I think he said that like 10 years ago or something. And I always remember that. And I, I don't always achieve it because sometimes I, you know, get all excited and I blurt it all out. And then people are like, oh, what are you talking about? But I, I think it's a really good principle to live by. And it's like, you know, you have to give everyone, you have to make them feel comfortable and not assume that everybody knows what you're talking about or that they're at the same level. So you have to build that level yourself. And I guess teachers do a really good job at that, yeah. right? I mean, that's their, and I'm not a teacher. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah, we, we well, are, no. yeah, I'm not in the classroom. Well, 100%. I mean, that that's a really beautiful way to end this. Just that the idea that we need to be empathetic to the level of the audience we're speaking to. We need to bring them through to what they need to understand for this digital transformation step by step little block by little block, chip by chip. That yeah. was brilliant, Kelly. Absolutely delightful. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Kelly. Oh, that was so nice. That was so fun.